welcome to our very first episode of The Used Gamers. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm joined here by Mike and Chris. We're going to be the regulars on the show. And uh, a few things to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to start off telling you just kind of a little bit about um, ourselves, why we're doing this and you know why we love games and things like that. Uh, we're going to move into actually some reviews for this evening. We're going to talk about Borderlands. Uh, at this point, the Necromancer uh, DLC has come out, as well as Captain Scarlet's Pirate Booty. Uh, we can talk about those a little bit as well. We have a review also for Dishonored. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the free-to-play model that is kind of uh, exploding at this point as uh, a way for games to really make revenue in a new direction. So um, to get started, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, actually. So uh, my gaming experience started with a Nintendo. I distinctly remember the Christmas where I got it. Probably the best Christmas of my life. Since then, I have owned a veritable slew of consoles. I uh, moved on to game I was a Nintendo freak for a long time. Moved on to Game Boy, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 until my cousins introduced me to Metal Gear Solid, at which point I had to have a PlayStation so I could continue to play that game on my own because I didn't get to beat it. Uh did that for a while PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, now Xbox 360 as well. Uh Games that I've really been into, first-person shooters, are pretty good for me, but ones that are maybe, they're not fringe, but they're not as as Medal of Honor, if you will. You know, I love the Gears of War series, I love Borderlands, we're going to do that review, things like that. Uh, other epics for me, Legend of Zelda series, Final Fantasy, is practically a love affair <laughs> for me, lifelong, things like that. So... Uh, been a gamer for kind of most of my life, and something I really enjoy, and that's why I think we decided to, to get into this podcast, is just we like uh, the three of us playing and, and spend a lot of our time together discussing uh, games, so we're going to do a lot of that. Hopefully it's fun and worth listening to. We'll find out. Um, so, uh, move on to Mike. Do you want to talk a little bit about Uh Sure. Uh, my name is Mike. Uh my my first kind of gaming experience was also with the NES, the original Nintendo. Um, I'd have to say the first big games that really kind of brought me into the whole gaming world would have to be, of course, the original Legend of Zelda, and then also one of the original nin, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. Yes. Both, if you guys remember that one, it was the one where you could actually get in the van and drive around. And both of these games opened up this whole idea of a world to explore. You know, before that, it was always just simple little levels. You know, you run through level one, level two, level three of all these different games. But both of these games kind of opened up as a world to actually explore. And that's what really kind of just sucked me in. This whole idea of entering this whole different place, escaping reality, kind of this whole idea of, you know, becoming this character who's on this epic quest. And that was what really kind of drew me into games. Of course, after that, you know, we did Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, PlayStation, PlayStation 2. Uh, 360, PlayStation 3. Of course, I'm I'm avid Xbox 360, you know, more than anything. Uh, and also in there, I did some PC gaming as well. So I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I'm definitely a, an RPG fan at heart. That is my number one game type. Um, you know, I do play a little bit of the first-person shooters, you know, even the real-time strategies, all those different kind of things. But in the end, uh, I, I'm going to be biased towards RPG, I have to admit it. But that's just kind of my thing. But I definitely do love a lot of those other uh, other gaming types as well. Um, you know, I'm a huge, you will probably hear me rave about Bioware from now until <laughs> the end of my days. I, they can do no wrong. I don't care what anybody says, Bioware is amazing. And that's, that's, that's pretty much me. This is Chris. Um, you know, my history with video games, it, the earliest memories I have of them are being at, an, at my after school babysitter in elementary school and her kids who were older than me, so of course they were super cool, um, had a ColecoVision and an Intellivision, and I just thought these little magic boxes that made amazing things happen on TV were the craziest thing I had ever seen. So those were those were sort of my, my introduction to video games, I think even before I really had spent much time in arcades, so that kind of defined gaming for me was the idea of sitting in front of a couch with a controller 
or a paddle, I guess at that point, more than a controller. Um, if you fast forward to the Nintendo generation, my introduction to that was also a little bit weird. Uh, I was good friends with a kid named Takuto Watanabe in elementary school, and he and his family had come over from Japan, and he had this crazy gold and red console hooked up to his TV at home called the Famicom. And uh, it had these little cartridges with these really colorful graphics on them uh, that included this really amazing game called Super Mario Brothers. And it just blew me away. It didn't look like anything I had ever seen before and would look for every opportunity I could find to spend the night at his house whenever I could so that we could play ridiculous games like uh, Kid Nicky and uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Kage, just all kinds of strange games and then finding out that we were going to have the opportunity to get this thing for ourselves called the Nintendo Entertainment System. Like, that was the most incredible thing to have this experience. So that was a huge part of the mid to late 80s for me was just playing my Nintendo as much as I could, speed running that thing, you know, through Ghosts and Goblins and Super Mario Brothers and all the games that we remember that sort of formed the foundation of, I think, what's most important to us about gaming is just how much fun they could be. Um... I was then the kid that jumped on the Sega Genesis train after that. I never had a Super Nintendo until about two years ago. So other than what I was able to play at my friends' houses, uh, that, was, that was a different direction that I went. Uh, so I was playing the Sonic the Hedgehogs of the world while everybody else was moving on to Super Mario World. Um, after the Sega Genesis, I kind of dropped out of video games for a while. Um, and it wasn't really until college, I suppose. So after Genesis, yeah, that would have been uh, into college. Some of my roommates had a PlayStation. That was a fun thing to play with. Uh, but just like Jared said, the game that sort of made me take notice of gaming in general was Metal Gear Solid. And I don't remember even where I played it first, but it was so late into the life cycle of the PlayStation that <laughs> I remember uh, waiting to buy a PlayStation 2 at launch and the only game that I bought to play on my PlayStation 2 was Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation 1. Because there was nothing on the PlayStation 2 I actually wanted to play. But that was the most important thing. Uh, so that series is one that I love dearly. Um, I haven't really been able to get into many other stealth action games other than that. But um, for me, uh, a huge kind of game that I've always been into is uh, your basic platformers. So Mario and everything that came after it. Uh, despite all the amazing advancements in technology we've had over the last 20 or 30 years, a good 2D platformer for me is still one of the best games I could ever play. Of course, uh, I've got a, a spot in my heart for RPGs leading back to things like Dragon Warrior for the NES. Mm -hmm. uh, to this day, one of only two turn-based role-playing games I've ever beaten, which is Dragon Warrior and Chrono Trigger. I've never played through a Final Fantasy game, so I'm sure Jared and I are going to have to get into that's, that at some point. But, um, <laughs> but at this point, it's you know solidly a part of what I love and what I want to do. Having my Wii at home and my 360 and my PlayStation 3, and fearing the rise of the new generation of consoles because I'm just now feeling like I'm getting to dig my fingers into things that are really amazing about what's going on now. So it's going to be really fun to get to hang out with these guys and talk about every different aspect of the stuff that we love. Back to you, Jared. Yes, definitely. Uh, and that's the other thing, too. I think we're doing this because um, it'll be fun, and we hope people want to listen and they think it's fun, too. We'll find out. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to move into our also first uh, review. is going to be Borderlands 2. Um, I know we've all played the original Borderlands, and Mike and I were... Probably close to obsessed, actually, with the original Borderlands. Yeah. It came from nowhere and blew people's minds. So the expectations for two were quite different. Because Borderlands was, you know, a beloved franchise that kind of no one heard of when it came out. Now two, the expectations are massive because the first one was so fun. And for me, those expectations were still met. I got the chance to play through the entirety of the, the main storyline. Um, I played as Zero, the assassin, um, which to me, there was kind of an, 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 that, an analog to every character in the original, Mike, did you? Oh, I mean, that? absolutely. Everybody yeah. was kind of almost an upgraded version, in a way, of, yeah. of a character from the original game. They kind of almost took them and tweaked them a little bit to mm -hmm. make them 
it's still very different. Like that's the, the nice thing is that even though their powers are all very similar, they still play in a very different kind of way. And you could right. play one like me. I played Axton the Commando. Um, Roland the Soldier was my favorite from the first game. And they're and very very different kind of play style. The tur- even though they both throw out turrets, those turrets work very very differently right. and can be used in very different kind of ways. And uh, you know, yeah. I mean, by all means, I feel like. Gearbox did what you're supposed to do with a sequel, is you take all the things that make your game great and improve on them. Not too much, not to where you're blowing it out of the water, but just enough to where it's it's an improvement. And you add a couple little things here, but you don't change the game. In the way, the game is still the exact same game, but a little bit better. You know, you don't want to go too right. much. You don't want to start adding in all these little extra things that people, you know, just kind of, you know, it just takes you away from the actual game. A la Assassin's Creed. Uh, yeah, no, everybody knows about the Assassin's Creed and the whole defending your base minigame with Revelations that yeah. was a huge disappointment so. for a lot of people. Yeah, sure. so obviously they Gearbox has definitely got the, I think they did a pretty good job. It had the great storyline, it had the great characters. Much better story. Yes, it had, it was much more story driven, I would mm-hmm. say, yeah. So for those people, maybe like you know me and Jared and of course Chris, who were much more of an RPG kind of fan, we got that. But while still they catered to the first-person shooter fans, who you could still skip all through that. It wasn't like it was something you had right. to do, but if you wanted to, you could enjoy it. Right. Great characters. I mean, you know, it was it was. I was very impressed. Well, that's a question I actually had for you guys because I haven't played that game yet. Um, I just recently finished a playthrough of the first Borderlands which has become something of a trend for me lately, is when new games come out, play the old version of them at the same time, for some reason. <laughs> they have historical context, or it's cheaper, and I already have it. But um, I, I was playing through the first Borderlands concurrently with you guys playing through the second one. One of the things that struck me about the storyline, well, what storyline there was in the first one, was the fact that, um, I think, like Mike just mentioned, it, that story was really kind of a little bit buried into the background as far as uh, it was mostly through... Uh, the flavor text and the the mission assignments that you got, occasionally from interactions that you have with NPCs, but is the story in the second one, which I'm hearing most everybody agree is superior to the first one in just about every way, is the story told differently than in the first one? Is it more of part of the core gameplay experience, or is it still something that's kind of in the background that you have to sort of dig to be able to find? So, it can... It it was played very similarly. Um... It's less in flavor text in this one and more in the kind of echo recording information that you get. Right. Um, there is a certain amount of what I'd consider side story in the side missions. So there are certain things that aren't a part of the main story that you get if you play side stuff uh, that largely gives you more history of either the new characters or you do run into the four vault hunters from the original game. It gives you a lot of what has been happening to them in the background. And that stuff actually is largely on the side, but it adds to the whole richness of the amount of story they tried to add in this one. Most of the story you get, though, is still, you know, there's an echo recording comes up and, you know, Roland is there and he tells you, you know, maybe your mission that's coming up, but your missions had a little more focus towards the story this time. I mean, there certainly were those side missions that were very, like, go kill this many bully mongs and I'll give you a gun. You know, those side missions existed, but a lot of the side missions, and certainly the story missions, were directed towards this, you know, we need to beat Handsome Jack and what what steps do we need to take to make that happen. So it, it was more there in your face, but you could ignore it if you wanted. If you just want to play this game, you could still just do it, but it was more involved, even if you just played through the story missions than in, than in the original, I thought. No, and I would say in this one, um, one thing that definitely made it more story-driven just in itself was the fact that they had a true antagonist in Handsome Jack. In the original game, you didn't really have like a true kind of villain. Oh, yeah. Um, the whole goal of the game was you were vault hunters hunting for a vault. It wasn't really like an established story. It was a very kind of vague storyline, and right. you just kind of, it was their adventures they ran into along the way to finding this vault. And really, if you really paid attention, there was kind of a storyline there, but it, was, it wasn't really as ingrained. In this one, you definitely you have a villain. His name is Handsome Jack. Your whole goal is trying to stop him from accomplishing what he's trying to do. So in that, it's definitely much more story-driven, just in that simplistic kind of way, of just having somebody who is obviously your adversary, while in the first one, it was kind of more 
you're just treasure hunters, you know, and this is just the stuff you ran into on the way. So, you know, and I, I feel like they developed a lot more in the characters, like even the characters, like you said, from the first game show up. And I feel like you, you learn a lot more of their personality because of the fact now they are voiced NPCs. So you actually get to hear how they're talking and how they're interacting. There's more of kind of this good versus evil kind of battle between the Crimson Lance that are in the, the main base that you have versus Handsome Jack and Hyperion and all that. So I think, yeah, definitely much more established story, which I thought was great, but mm -hmm. I thought they did a good job of making it to where it's not something that you were required to sit through. Um, right. You know, We have friends who are definitely people who they don't want to listen to story. They just want to play the game. And it was still a game that you could play and not even notice what is going on in the story. Mm -hmm. And you could still get the full experience. Right. The, the only cutscenes you'll see were the same as in the first one where a new character is introduced and they kind of... You know, plaster them up on the screen, which with usually a catchphrase of some kind. You know, catch a ride or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, that's 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 the only kind of cut scene. They were very short things you'd have, and they didn't introduce some new characters, which I thought were a lot of fun. Which so when Mike talked about improving on what they already had, I think that's what they did. They they the characters they had they kept around because the characters they had were really fun, like side characters like Moxie and things like that. Scooter, Scooter, who's so funny. <laughs> um, they introduced some new characters. Scooter has a sister. You'll find that out. Tiny Tina. Just Tiny Tina. If you have not played it, just wait till you play with Tiny Tina. She is the new scooter. She is the best she is. character. You will love her. You just wish there was more. I hope there's a whole DLC around her if it's possible. I can She's only hope, awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they they hit on that. The humor they hit on. The gameplay is you know very much the same. Although more options, I found. I found that in the last game, if I found a gun that was more powerful, I used it. In this one, I have to use the guns because they play differently. And I found some of the guns, and it's not necessarily indicated in the stats. You know, I found I would pick up this sniper rifle and find that it had more sway than another one. Or that it just kind of had more recoil. And those things aren't indicated in the stats. Right. So I would I would save my previous gun for a while. Try the new one. If I didn't like it, I'd get rid of it. That happens sometimes, even though it was a, a better gun. So that was really interesting to me. That took what they had and improved upon it. Obviously, there's a billion guns that you can find. And then, but the core gameplay, yeah. that just fun gameplay is still there. And, and I think that's what made people like Borderlands so much, along with the humor. It's definitely that same kind kind of thing. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about the DLCs? Here, um, I know you got yeah. to play the Captain Scarlet's Pirate Booty. And how have you been liking that so far? Uh, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. I've heard kind of mixed reviews about it. Some people were saying it was really great. Some people were like, oh, it's nice. But, you know, they didn't really think it was anything spectacular. I mean, me, I thought it was exactly, you know, for how soon the game, you know, the game just came out, what, last month? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've already put out this DLC. It's a very fully-fledged DLC. It's a whole other section, whole new characters, whole new area. Um, they they really put a lot into it. It's not like they're just throwing the same enemies at you with, you know, you know it is a pirate-themed one, which, you know, obviously with the first game they did zombie-themed for their first DLC. Now they're doing pirate-themed, two very kind of used things, but it works out very well. It's not like they're just throwing, basically, bandits with pirate hats on. It's all new enemies, um, you know, tons of new kinds of guns and content, uh, interesting characters that you run into, lots of funny, you know, little lines. Um, you know, the first character you run into is Shade, who runs kind of the initial <laughs> town you're in, uh, and he's just, he's hilarious, you know, just, it, it, I, I don't want to spoil anything for that, because it's just, the the what's so funny about him is, is the best part. But I, I I haven't gotten to finish it yet. But I have to say I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's 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 basically just an expansion on the game. It's like keeping, it's like you're just still playing through the original game, and that is I think is great about you know the you know with DLC and people who do it right. Is it feels like you know once you finish the game, you're kind of almost disappointed in that oh well the game's over. That's it. Like yes, with Borderlands, there's tons of replayability with all the new characters, and of course even you can play the same character completely differently. Right. But this is great because you can take that character that you have played up through this whole game and that you have this, you know, almost relationship with and you really like, and you can keep playing with them. And I, I think they did a great job in that. I've been really enjoying it. So I know you finished it, so I don't know what you thought about I the did. ending of it. I did. I agree. Um, and actually, the Dr. Ned's Zombie Island is that I would relate it to just being like that. It is themed with pirates this time instead of zombies. It's about the same length. It's not terribly long. But it gives you a fun amount of gameplay, and um, yeah, they introduced some new characters, and it's just a nice extension of the game. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I also got to start playing both with the Mechromancer and on... In this game, by the way, the second playthrough is called tr- uh, True Vault Hunter mode, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's and, just all amped up to an yeah, impossible and, degree. <laughs> yeah, and in the first game, the second playthrough was just kind of harder and, and not really different. And then this, this time, the second playthrough is actually a little bit different. First off, the difficulty is amped up massively. I'm finding it very challenging to play through this playthrough. Not incredibly frustratingly challenging, but there have been the boss battles are really hard. However, they amp up the reward. The guns I'm getting are ridiculous. The, <laughs> That's the whole reason to play is yes, the loot. Everybody absolutely, it's very rewarding. So they reward you in equal in the way they move it up. I so that, I thought that was cool though that it's actually much harder. I like that because in the, the first time I played through, I'm like oh, I'm playing through the game again, and there's actually some new enemies. Um, there's a kind of bullymong I hadn't seen before. I haven't played into the second playthrough very much. There's also and um, the the psychos that throw axes at you and run at you. There's armored psychos now. You can only shoot them in the face or shoot them with like or, or it does almost no damage, and they're really hard to kill. So they've amped up the difficulty not just by making everything more powerful, but actually introducing different enemies, which I thought was really cool as well. In terms of the Mechromancer, uh, I've been playing through it a little bit. Uh, I found that it's interesting, but not my favorite class, and and I'll tell you why. Is because when you have so her power is that she can summon this kind of pet kind of creature called Death Trap, who can fly and, you know, attacks your enemies for you. And when Death Trap is out, you're kind of invincible. And then Death Trap goes away and has this long cooldown, and you kind of don't know what to do anymore. And it's kind of this balance between that. You're like, okay, Death Trap's out, and everything... I think Death Trap grabs aggro, personally. Nothing seems to attack you. He kicks everything's butt really hard, especially if you take the paths that boost him up, which I have been doing. And, you know, I, I mean, personally, I've really enjoyed playing as Zero, and that's kind of my thing, so maybe this is just... It, it's probably great as another option, because there might be people who really like that option. It's just not personally something I've gotten into a ton. I'll, I'll go to play through it some, and after playing a while, I just switch back to Zero, and, and I play that instead, because it's just more fun for me. I, I really like that sniper or long-range guy kind of thing. So, I think it's cool that they added it, because it gives it a little more variability in the way you can play this game, which of course increases your replayability, which is already massively high, but it wasn't personally my favorite thing. That's what I thought. Alright, we're going to move on to Dishonored in a second. Is there any final things anyone wants to say about Borderlands 2 that they can get to? Well, I didn't know if you wanted to talk at all about the ending of Borderlands 2. Um... I know for me, it was a little disappointing, and I know we talked about maybe in a future one talking about this this trend that we feel is coming up where it does feel like games are kind of coming up with these disappointing boss battles. I mean, obviously, we don't want to give away any spoilers, but we will say, or at least I will say, that when it came to the boss battle at the end of Borderlands 2, I felt like everything leading up to that was definitely rising in difficulty. I found it harder and harder to get through, but when I got to that final boss battle, I felt it was kind of a little easy. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, maybe that might have been the character class that I was. And, you know, I know having that turret is really nice because you can throw it down and it's it's just like the death trap. It works as an aggro gragger, uh, grabber. People automatically you just gravitate towards that. And then it was really easy for me to chuck a grenade or something. But in the end, I felt like that boss battle was, was fairly easy. Um, and, and in a little way disappointing. I mean, I still enjoyed it. I still had a great time playing it. I would still play the game. Over and over and over again, yeah. but I, I definitely feel like it was a little bit let down. I don't know how, I, like I said, I haven't finished uh, you know the Scarlet's DLC yet, so I don't know if the ending was a little bit different compared to that or. Uh, it um, the ending of Scarlet's Pirate Booty was probably slightly more challenging than the ending of the main game, not terribly more, but. I found them both to be fairly satisfying endings. They were, they were fairly in line with just what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find either of the end bosses. I hope that's not a spoiler that there's end bosses. Whatever. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. To be terribly challenging. However, playing true Vault Hunter mode right now at the beginning of it, I feel like there will be no boss battle that is not challenging. So, 
we'll work up to that point playing it, and you'll get your challenge, I think. <laughs> maybe we'll do another. Maybe then I'll retract the statement when maybe, we get to the end maybe of that. Maybe so. All right, awesome. Borderlands 2, we loved it. Uh, moving on, to this one's going to be much more Chris-focused, and I know he did get to finish this game recently. Uh, he played through Dishonored, and I am very interested to hear about his, his playthrough information on this, because this game looked very interesting, probably a little, and, and fairly unique among what uh, games are coming out now, so this will be great. Yeah, I think one of the things that the three of us definitely have in common is that we're, we're not of the mindset or the financial capability where we can go out and run and get every hot new thing the day it comes out to be able to play it. We're pretty selective about what we play. At this yep. point, we've been playing video games long enough that we know the kind of things we like. We're always happy to be pleasantly surprised, but um, Dishonored was an interesting game for me because, for whatever reason, I just got it in my mind that this was something I wanted to play right away. It wasn't a game that I had followed incredibly closely uh, since it had first been released. I think it was maybe two years ago it was first revealed. I know it had a big uh, Game Informer cover story, which mm -hmm. I remember reading but kind of didn't hold on to anything about. I, don't, I think I was a little confused about what exactly it was trying to be. Is this like a Fallout game? Is this like a Bioshock game, it just kind of went over my head, but as the release date came closer, I just became sort of fixated on this idea of playing this game, so the basic concept behind Dishonored, uh, which I played on the Xbox 360, but is also uh, apparently pretty good on PS3 and unbelievable on the PC, um, is that you play uh, in an alternate reality version of Earth. Um, you play a character named Corvo, who is a bodyguard to the royal family, uh, who is wrongfully accused of assassinating the empress of the kingdom where the game play where the game takes place? Uh, so the the essential idea is that you spend the game trying to seek revenge for those who've done you wrong and sort of uncover the true you know meaning behind you know what political machinations were going on in the background that led to this event that you were framed for. Um, it's a first person game. A first-person stealth action game, which is kind of an interesting thing to pull off. I'm not a big player of first-person shooters, with a couple of exceptions. I think the Bioshock series is one of my favorite game series ever. But um, it, it's it's an interesting thing because uh, a game that I spent a lot of time with uh, last year, I think, was uh, Oblivion for the 360, which I played mostly as a first-person game. You can also play it as a third-person game. Um, and one of the things that I've always found interesting about first-person games is they tend to be incredibly clunky when you're doing anything other than shooting. So if you're having to jump, if you're having to have melee combat, it always looks a little weird, it always feels a little weird. But um, I think for this game, um, the studio, which I think is Arcane Studios, the game's published by Bethesda, the Fallout people, um, it really feels right in what it does. And I think that's the thing that really stands out for me in this game, looking back on it now, um, having played through the entirety of the campaign, is it doesn't do a lot of different things, but the things that it does, it does really, really well. So the idea is that you are seeking revenge against the people who framed you, but you're doing so with the assistance of all these supernatural powers. So the conceit of the game is you're a supernatural assassin. And we've talked about before the importance of a game making you feel incredibly powerful and incredibly strong and how fun that is and how much fun it's not when you feel weak and underpowered. Um, and this game definitely makes you feel uh, in, at times overpowered. Um, the different powers that you have are things that are upgradable uh, through finding these runes, these items that are scattered throughout the world. Um, not terribly difficult to find and you can kind of choose your paths. And it's everything from the ability to teleport... Uh, the ability to possess other creatures in the world, be it a rat or a fish that you can use to sort of scurry through gutters or to swim through grates in order to gain you know, additional access to new areas, or to upgrade to the ability to, to possess the enemies, which uh, sets you up for the ability to do crazy things like uh, you know, have somebody assassinate their friend that are both looking for you. You possess one of them, shoot the other guy in the head, and then commit suicide. Um, so... I think the one of the things that the game's creators have really been harping on is the ability to have uh, any number of different choices to do all kinds of crazy things in this game. You know, play it as uh, 
a murder simulator where you go through and just make mincemeat out of everybody else in the world. Or um, it's possible and even rewarded both through the story and through um, the achievements, at least on the Xbox end. Um, you can play through the whole game without ever killing anybody, which is something that I know has been possible in games before, like the Metal Gear series. It's next to impossible in some of those games. I definitely couldn't do it, even though I sort of tried to. But um, when you get really good at sneaking around and figuring out the enemy's sort of you know AI patterns and how they see the world, uh, it's really satisfying. A lot of this game is sitting still and waiting and listening and trying to figure out you know when exactly to make your move. And I didn't do a lot of reloading when things didn't go the way I wanted to, but it definitely was something that happened because I thought it was so much fun to to try to just get through an entire mission and have nobody else in the world have any idea that I was even present. So, as you're describing this to me, it does remind me of a franchise I really enjoyed. Uh, so, I'm not sure if you've played through any of the, the Thief games mm -hmm. that have been, I think, exclusively on computer at this point. I know yeah. 4 is in development. Uh, but it makes me think of that, actually. It was first-person, stealth-style. You could get through... In fact, the highest level of challenges, you couldn't kill anyone. Right. It was something you couldn't do. Um, did you play those games at all? Yeah, yeah, I had played. I had not spent a lot of time with most PC games, but and if you if you look at most reviews and people talking about their experiences with that game, that that inevitably is a series that ends up coming out. And I think there's a lot of a lot of parallels to that. Um, that in the Deus Ex series as well, because it, oh, it combines the idea of first person stealth with the with like you said, yeah, the concept that there's for. A single mission, there's any number of different ways to go about things. You're an assassin, so it's no stretch or spoiler to say that you're basically tasked with going through the world and eliminating a certain number of targets. Um, for every one of those targets, not only are there any number of ways you can go about assassinating them, number one, because of the tools you have in your arsenal, you know, crossbows, uh, mines, grenades, guns... Um, all of which are totally fun to play with, but also because there are different environmental you know, aspects to the way that people can be dispatched of. I know there's a mission that I didn't play through this way, but there's a character who you have to take out, and uh, I think at one point he's in a sauna with another character, and you can basically close off all the entrances and exits and just turn up the heat as high as possible and just suffocate him to death. So, you know, without using any of your weapons, which is a totally different way that I went about it. So, um, yeah, that idea of of choice, um, that idea of definitely sneaking in a way that, you know, feels different than a 2D game or a third-person action game. So, yeah, I think it's a fair comparison to make. Now, I had heard that with this game, you know, there are all these choices of, of how to do things, and that also, you know, like the big, huge thing that's kind of rising up in games now is this whole idea of choice affecting the the outcome of the game. Right. And I've heard that this one definitely has that. Did you notice, you know, your your decisions making big effects on the outcome of the game, or was it kind of just small things? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think that the way that the game keeps track of your personal preference for how you want to make your way through the missions is uh, through what they call chaos, which is basically their version of, you know, maybe what you think of as Paragon and Renegade from the Mass Effect series. So if you make your way through the world and do very little in order to sort of interfere with the other characters, you end up with a low chaos setting. If you were to run through the mission, gunning for everybody, eliminating everything in your path, that leads to a higher chaos rating. And from what I understand, um, the higher your chaos rating is, um, the ending of the game ends up being darker. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, because I've only seen my experience with the game uh, I don't know how many different endings there are. Uh, I definitely would have the low chaos ending because after every mission, they'll basically let you know what your chaos rating is, and mine was low for every mission. Now, granted, for one mission, that might be that I didn't kill anyone. There was another mission where I killed 14 people, and that still gave me a low chaos rating. Maybe there were 90 people in that mission. I don't know. So it definitely had an aspect to it um, that I could see played out in the ending uh, the way that the narration sort of explained what I did, the way that I went about it. Um, the other thing to mention about this game is that it takes place during a time... It's basically sort of a... Uh, it's been referred to as steampunk. Uh, hmm. So I heard somebody refer recently to it as oil punk, which I thought was pretty interesting because uh, sort of the, the currency that runs the 
electronics of the age of this game, which is sort of an alternate take on, like, 18th century, uh, you know, Earth history, is uh, whale oil. You're basically in a whaling community, and this whale oil is distilled to basically create electricity and heat and things like that. So, um, but uh, the way you make your way... I'm sorry, the way that you choose to go through the missions... Um, if you rack up a high body count, it's also reflected in the fact that this game takes place during a plague. Uh, there are rats everywhere because there's this plague that's being spread, and there are plague victims running around, and you definitely want to stay away from them. And I think the idea behind the high chaos ending, too, is the more people you kill, the more bodies you create, the more disease that's spread in the world, and that also ends up sort of affecting the overall tone of how things are. So I guess on that, cool. on that end, the idea is the, the less mess you can make, um, the better chance that this world, once you've done what you've done, will, uh, will sort of be a, a shiny, happier place. The other thing, too, is that one of, the, um, one of the upgrades you can get to your powers essentially lets you um, turn bodies into ash. So if you're either sneaking up to choke people out or to actually kill them, um, instead of leaving a body behind that will either be eaten by rats or be discovered by the other enemies in the game, um, they'll just effectively disappear. So I don't know how exactly that plays out in the end game, but yeah, I, there's definitely at least a duality to it. I think there's at least two very distinct ways that it can play out. Mm-hmm. And I know that the game makers talked a lot about about that replayability and saying, you know, that's one of the things about this game. You're going to want to play it a bunch of times. And I have two questions on that. It's one, I find a lot of game makers, unfortunately, when they say that, it is a reason why they think it's okay that their game is short. So was this game short to you? And two, do you feel that's the case? Do you find yourself wanting to play it again very differently? And, how, I mean, how many times do you think, too? Like, do you think, okay, two will be good, I'll do high chaos, low chaos, or do you think... There's so many ways to do this. I might want to redo this game a ton of times. Right. Well, I, I think that it, it, they, there's so many tools in the world that are interesting and fun to play with. I, and there are definitely things that I highly did not utilize at all um, that I could have, that I'm anxious to go back and play through. I think, you know, the, the game's sort of high watermark for how you can play through it as the ultimate experience. And, you know, this is something that the game's creators have talked about openly, but, you know, it's possible to play through the entirety of the game, um, not only not killing anybody, but also never even being alerted, you know, your presence is never, you know, made known to anybody in the world. So there's a a power that you can have that effectively turns on sort of a, a radar that lets you not only see where enemies are through walls or above you or underneath you, but also lets you see their cone of vision very much like Metal Gear Solid, um, so that you can know when you're successfully sneaking around them. You can play through the whole game where nobody even knows, you know, you're a ghost. Like, you you never interact with any other characters in the game. It's an extremely hard way to play through it. Um, You can also play through it given uh, no powers at all except for one that's called Blink, which is the game's version of teleportation. So I think their high level for how to play through the game is... Never kill anybody, never let anyone know you were even there, and never purchase any of these other supernatural powers, like the turning en- enemies into ash or being able to produce a swarm of rats out of your hand, like a Bioshock power. So I'm definitely excited to play through it. Right before the game came out, um, some news reports came out that people were reporting that you could beat the game in four hours, which some people got up in arms about because that's obviously a pretty short gameplay experience. But um, I liken it to the fact that you know, I can beat Super Mario Brothers 3 for the Nintendo in about 12 minutes if I want to, yeah. using warp <laughs> whistles and shortcuts and things right. like that. It, four hours is a speed run for this game. The game doesn't have an in-game clock that I've been able to find. My guess is I played about 25 hours hmm. of it, which I think is what the game's creators were saying was a pretty average playthrough. But the thing that I think ultimately drew me to this game, which plays into that, you know, total game time for me, is I I really appreciate when people go to the the lengths to create a really full, 
fleshed out world for their games. I think we would agree that's one of the reasons that the Mass Effect series is as compelling as it is. It's sure. this whole universe that's deep, not only in what you see on screen, but also what's in the codex and in your journals and things like that. This game felt like that to me. One of my favorite things to do in the Bioshock games was literally to just walk around and look at things. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, not even really, you're not, you're not in a side mission, you're not in the main quest, I'm just looking around to see what little thing is is going on in this other room like what is this npc doing how are these people talking to each other how is this water leaking through this door and how does that look different than what i've seen before and this game is such a a fully realized universe that for me just running around and looking at things uh listening to things uh was a huge part of it for me so i'd probably put myself on the higher end of you know people you know who want to spend time with this world and I am. I'm really eager to kind of go through it again. I think there's a certain aspect to it where, you know, I've kind of seen the way the levels are set up, so now I can kind of maybe be a little bit more streamlined in it. But um, that'll also give me the freedom to know better what my options are. Um, even though the game's only been out for a couple of weeks, you can get on YouTube right now and see some pretty remarkable um, highlight reels that people have put together of some crazy things they've been able to do with enemy AI and the different weapons used in ways that, you know, I don't think were even intended by the people who came, who made the game. And they've talked about emergent gameplay being this big thing where these situations can occur that are not really scripted. It's just the enemies reacting to the way that you react to the world. And they said that they're very excited to see people come up with things that they never intended, that they didn't think would happen. And, um, yeah, and that was kind of, you know, the moment for me that really hit me for that game, which is kind of, I guess my final thought about it is, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, with the your marks in the game, you have the ability to either assassinate them or not assassinate them. Um, I had somehow set up this scenario where I decided that um, with one of those characters, I did not want to kill them. I wanted them to be brought to justice. I wanted to be the good guy that way. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I, I set up a scenario so that they didn't have to be killed. They were taken down and, you know, all was right in the world where this character was suggested. I had forgotten that elsewhere in the level, I had uh, rewired some sort of an environmental trap so that it didn't affect me, but it affected everybody else in the game. So that after this character was brought to justice and the authorities came in to take him away, they tried to walk him through this doorway which I had forgotten I had made electrified and instantly assassinated him afterwards. <laughs> so within about a minute and a half of each other, I got an achievement for sparing his life and then immediately afterwards got the achievement for also assassinating him. <laughs> so it was, it's stuff like that that uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get through again and play with because that was definitely not intentional and that was sort of my emergent gameplay moment with the game and I I'm excited for other people to play through it and kind of see what it is it's not a, you know it's not a, a 50 60 90 hour game and I don't even think I really want that a lot at this point for as much time as I have to play video games so for what it was for what it did for the goals that it achieved just uh, you know nothing but high marks in my book this is a fantastic game right. so our last topic for uh, this evening is going to be the free-to-play model. And uh, the reason this, this jumped into our minds as a topic is not only because it's, it's fairly prevalent now, but uh, specifically the Star Wars Old Republic uh, MMO is going free-to-play uh, very shortly. Is that right? November. In November. So They haven't really given an exact date in November. It's just, for some reason, it's just November. I don't okay. know why. <laughs> So, uh, happening November, and uh, got this really thinking about us, uh, this topic, because obviously this is fairly new MMO, um, and, you know, some things aren't even uh, asking for subscriptions at all at this point. So, um, we're going to start this one with Mike. He tackled this, the largest of us, so go ahead, take it away. Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, it came down to me, because, hey, Star Wars The Republic, made by... Bioware, oh, so, you know, I was really huge, and of course Star Wars, I mean, Star Wars, Bioware, I loved the Knights of the Old Republic games, both of them, even though, I mean, the second one wasn't done by Bioware, still liked it, because the first one was established so well by then, um, but, yeah, so, I mean, since the game came out, it came out holidays last year, so it's almost a year old, 
Um, I was really excited when I heard it coming out, but of course there is that there was that whole monthly fee, and you know we all here we have you know Xbox three sixty live accounts, so that's you know a monthly fee. Uh, you know some of us have Netflix, Hulu Plus. You know we've played WoW, so we know how those monthly fees can add up. So for a lot of us who live more on a budget. Um, those monthly fees can get expensive. So when I heard this game was coming out, and I heard it had a, a fee, of course, to it, it, it yeah, it crushed me a little bit because I was really excited about playing it, and obviously the fee just is not going to work out. And the whole time I kept saying, if this game ever goes free to play, I'm I'm absolutely down. So then, of course, I started hearing rumors about it, and then it finally got confirmed. And I was really excited. Um, so I'm really looking forward to you know playing it coming up next month. Um, and, you know, it really kind of, you know, got us thinking about this whole free-to-play thing is becoming so huge right now. Um, so many games have been transitioning to free-to-play or are just coming out as free-to-play. Um, you know, there's great ones out there like, you know, the Lord of the Rings Online, you know, is, is a free-to-play. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Online, which has been very successful, is free-to-play. Uh, DC Universe went free-to-play not too long ago. Um, they've all kind of uh, changed over to this this whole microtransaction kind of uh feel to it, which I think kind of originated more in a social gaming, you know, with the Facebook, the, you know, Farmville, all those kind of, you know, those kind of uh, network gamings where, you know, there's no kind of monthly fee, but you, you know, you, you can play for it for free, but if you, you know, want to be one of those gamers who really excels at it, you can pay the money, which there are a lot of gamers out there who will, you know, they want to be the best, they want to have the best stuff, so people figured out that, hey, you know, if I take away that, that monthly fee... I'll bring in more players, and I'll bring in a lot of these people who actually end up spending more money on these smaller things. And, you know, Star Wars, they started out doing really well, and then I think their subscriptions started to drop off pretty drastically over the past few months, which kind of brought on this whole idea of the free-to-play. Um, you know, first off, they just started doing, uh, I think it was like level 15, and now they're just going to straight free-to-play. And uh, it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, they just released the specifics on kind of what they're doing. Um, basically, you get story content free, and that's, uh, if you play with each character, it's 100 plus hours per character on average, which is a pretty decent amount of gameplay, oh, yeah. you know, especially for free. Uh, you know, the only thing is your Flashpoint missions, PvP, War Zones, and Space, mission, uh, space Missions, uh, they, you only get 30 attempts of them per week if you're not doing a monthly subscription. So, for some people who are just kind of more your casual gamer and just want that kind of the character playthrough, it's great. Um, but for you guys who maybe are more into PvP, it might be a little bit more strained. Um, same thing with um, operations, and, which are basically their raids. Um, you don't get any of those if you are in the free-to-play free to play model. Um, but there are weekly passes available for both of those. So if you are somebody who maybe wants to do a little bit more of the PvP, a little bit more of the raids, you can pay a little extra money and still be able to do those without having to do the monthly fee. So maybe if you're not a gamer who gets on all the time, like a lot of these people with the MMOs, you know, it might be something that works better for you. Of course, you know, cargo hold and inventory, you know, you get a little less slots, you know, that's typical with a lot of these, you know, free-to-play games. Although you can upgrade with uh, the in-game currency, which are called cartel coins, which um, if you're a subscriber, you get a regular allowance of them, but um, if you're not, of course, you have to kind of uh, get them through actual cash. I'm just paying through them through small transactions. Um... You're going to have longer, quick travel cooldowns, so getting from place to place is going to take a little longer. Of course, if you're paying for it, you get the better service. Um, you get limited field revives upon death, which don't really sound that bad, but after a while, especially if you're in an area that's really difficult, could start to get a little frustrating, you know, so it could start to making that monthly fee a little bit more appetizing to you. And one that I found really interesting is um, you're not able to equip any purple items. without. Uh, you can purchase a license from the cartel market to be able to equip them, but otherwise, you're not able to equip them at all. So I was like, that's kind of interesting because it really kind of makes it to where if you just want your basic storyline gameplay through this game, then yes, by all means, free to play. But if you're more into the leveling up, getting the best gear, playing in all the PvP, doing the war zones, the, the raids, all that kind of stuff, it definitely feels like you might actually be better off doing the monthly subscription, which most of those guys probably are anyway if they're playing that much to keep up to that level. Right. Um, but like I said, it's it's 100 plus hours per character, which for free is is pretty nice. You know, there's quite a few characters on both sides. You know, light, you know whether you, you go the Sith or the um, the Jedi. You know, light and dark. It's it gives you a lot of gameplay value, and you, you can't really argue with the price of free for that. So I mean, I think it all depends on what you're kind of looking for. But uh, it makes me really excited because there's a lot of cool games coming out um, that 
you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really excited that a lot more games are starting to adopt this whole free-to-play. You know, Marvel Heroes is a big one that I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, creators of Diablo and Diablo 2, two, I mean, I think franchises that we all here are really into, um, mixed with, you know, Marvel superheroes. You just can't go wrong with that. And it's completely free-to-play. So, uh, uh, to me, I'm, I'm really excited about the free-to-play kind of model taking over and advancing. I'm kind of hoping that more and more games kind of go into that. Um, you know, there's there's tons of rumors going on about games that are coming out. Um, you know, Planetside 2 is going to be coming out soon. That's going to be a free-to-play game. Sounds great. Um, Elder Scrolls Online, which, you know, you know, uh, me and Jared both played Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Um, thought it was amazing playing an MMO. That sounds pretty cool. And that one sounds like it's going to be kind of similar to Star Wars The Old Republic was. It's going to start out as a subscription, but they are looking to the possibility of going to free-to-play in the future. So um, that could be interesting. Secret World, which is an MMO that's coming out that a lot of people are really excited about. There's rumors about it being free-to-play, but uh, I'd be kind of iffy about that. With how much of a buzz is going on about it, I would not be surprised if they go with a subscription just at least at the beginning to see if they can get some money out of it, you know. Um, But, like I said, I'm just really excited. I I mean, I know, out of the three of us, I, I don't know if... I know I try to do a lot of computer games. It's a little bit hard in this day and age trying to keep up with all the new uh, video cards and stuff you have to advance with. We try to do our best, um, you know. And like I said, the three of us, we're all on a budget. You know, we're all uh, getting up to that age where we start thinking about spending money. We can't be like these young kids just throwing it away. But um, that's why it's even more exciting for us, I guess, that a lot of games are starting to take that into consideration and allowing us to be able to play for whatever budget we feel is is best for us. So. Well, one of the things I think is interesting about this is the fact that, so what you, from what you're saying, the the Old Republic is, you know, they've laid out the details of what that game's going to be like to be able to play for free, um, you know, other than whatever the game itself is going to cost, which I think I had read somewhere that for a while, the game itself is only going to be like $14.99, which is like a lot less than it launched at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually already, I already purchased it, it was on sale at GameStop, I think back in... Two months ago, it went on sale for $14.99. I'm not sure if that was a permanent thing. I have heard rumors that once it does go free-to-play, you'll actually be able to get the whole game for free. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. That's why I just went ahead and said, hey, $15 for you know how much gameplay I'm going to get out of it was worth it to me to go ahead and get um, started on it. Um, I also figured that maybe I might go ahead and get started on it early so I could get... Because you know, for every month that you had a subscription for, you got cartel coins for. I, I didn't end up doing it just... you know. Because I didn't have the time to really invest in it just yet, and you know, Borderlands Two came out, so that kind of take up most <laughs> of my time. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it's it's lowering the price of the game. Whether or not it'll go completely free to play, where even the game itself is free, uh, I haven't really heard any specifics on that. But yeah, uh, it, they definitely did drop the price. I think to kind of motivate people to try to get it and maybe get a couple more months of subscriptions in there before they went to the free-to-play, uh, you know, maybe it was a way for them to get a little more money out of it, maybe it was just a marketing thing to try to to get out the idea of everybody getting on for the free-to-play to increase those microtransactions that people were making. Um, but either way, you know, I'm, I- I'm looking forward to next month so I can jump on there and, and give it a try out and create Boba Fett. Well, the, <laughs> yeah, the thing I think is interesting about that is um, if you look at, you know, I think that free-to-play, I think that term has been couched in the MMO space largely. I think that's where, you know, people have heard about this news of, you know, games going free-to-play. And I think uh, largely it's been sort of in the wake of, um, you know, every company that's kind of tried to put their resources into putting something that's going to dethrone WoW as the MMO that everybody spends their time with. And I think what, you know, you know... (laughs) Good luck, guys, doing yeah. that. I mean, this is a game that's been out for eight years at this point that there are, you know, a significant number of people who've sunk at this point probably thousands of hours into. Um, so it, it's interesting that people are kind of working outside the box to try to figure out different ways to be maybe successful on different terms. I mean, Lord of the Rings Online, I think, is a good example. I hadn't played that game. I've heard really nothing but good things about it. Um, and I know that when their business model changed from subscription to a microtransaction-based system, you know, quote-unquote free to play, which is what most of these games actually are, 
I know their profit margin was vastly bigger than it was when people were actually subscribing. Yep. Um, I think it's it's neat to look at things like uh, like the Mass Effect multiplayer. I think is a good example of that, where that's a, a robust, full experience that you can play for absolutely free, other than the cost of entry of buying the game itself. Um, you know, all of the multiplayer expansions that have come out for that game, there haven't been any fees involved with that. It's all been free downloads. But, you know, they give you the option to spend Microsoft points on these packs for weapons and upgrades. And I can say personally that I've probably spent oh, somewhere between 5 or $6 on those. It's not a whole lot, but if you think about the number of people who've been playing those games... Um, you know, that revenue stream is what's going to allow these companies to keep these games thriving. And especially for something like an MMO, I mean, your, your basic plan has to involve what am I going to do that's going to keep things interesting for people? I mean, what, why will people continue to want to play these games for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours? Is it going to be something like World of Warcraft where there's a large expansion every few years that kind of fundamentally changes the way gameplay works? Or is it going to be something like... Mass Effect, where Bioware's been, you know, very open about the fact that, you know, the, the money that people are spending on these Spectre packs and things are what are allowing us to continue to put out more content for you guys. So it seems like, you know, this this is an intriguing sort of, you know, business strategy, number one, because it involves less buy-in for the gamer, so that's attractive. Number two, it seems like you can maintain the games with sort of a smaller staff or with sort of less risk involved for the publishers. And number three, you know, it's still going to rake in money for people. And the fact that, you know, this stuff's expanding well beyond just the PC space, where, which is, I think, where it's existed for a long time. Like you said, now it's on Facebook. We've got games that are expanding onto consoles. We've got Dust 514 on the PlayStation 3. Have either of you guys played Happy Wars for Xbox Live Arcade? No. I hadn't heard about this until just a couple of days ago, but apparently that's Xbox's first free-to-play game. Couldn't tell you the first thing about it. I have no idea what it is. Meant to check it out, but um, but the fact that it is expanding into places, because I'm the kind of person who's always going to want to play games on a console as much as I can, um, mainly because it's hard for me to keep up with the hardware specs on the PC, like you said. But um, you know, when you're creating these games that are fun experiences that don't require a high-end rig for you to be able to play. I know maybe maybe it is the kind of thing that I may find that I'm going to want to try to start spending a little bit more time carving out time during the week to check some of these things out because, you know, there's definitely good games out there that I've just completely ignored because of the subscription fee, which is just that barrier of entry for me. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have run into the problem with They've kind of equated free to play with a lower quality MMO, right? Like yeah, and then they usually compare it to WoW. You know, WoW is this MMO that everybody tries to be like, and they stuck with this whole subscription fee. So a lot of people believe that um, when you look at MMOs like you know Guild Wars and Guild Wars Two, you know they've are, are some of the biggest competition for WoW, and they've stuck with their whole free to play model. And a lot of people, you know, kind of get the idea that it's you know you're running into a lower quality with these. But I think a lot of the newer ones coming out, including Guild Wars Two. Um, you know, you look at the Marvel heroes, a lot of the, you know, content and, and effort and, you know, designers put into this, it's really looking like that whole model of free-to-play equals lower quality is kind of going in the opposite direction. Right. And maybe originally it was kind of like that, but I think now the idea is becoming so popular and people are really starting to see how it works and how they can make it work. They're starting to see a way where we can still make a great game, put all the great quality into it that any of these subscription-based MMOs have, and yet still offer that free-to-play model, which you know, obviously is just is really great when when these companies start to really realize this. It's it's exciting, you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the things I would caution these game makers from, though, is something I went across is. Um, you know, I played WoW for a long time, and, and like many subscribers, just got to a point where um, my life couldn't bear that much time, <laughs> and uh, and loved it, of course, and just kind of stopped playing. And at one point, I thought, well, you know, I I'll play a free to play MMO because I won't. I, I almost felt responsible to put time into it because of the money I was paying. While I was like, it has to be worth it. It's right. like going to a buffet; you want to eat your your food's worth it, your money's worth, and. I, I tried one out, and it was the D&D Online. And it was fun. And the thing that ended up happening, though, that one of the things that turned me off a little bit 
was they spent too much time throwing in my face, you know, you could have this if you spend money. Right. And I cautioned them of that. I said, put it out there for me to, to get. I know it's there. I know it's there. And then just leave it alone. Because if you keep throwing it in my face, it's like an advertisement. It's popping up in front of me all the time, and I stopped playing it. I, it was just kind of too much for me. But one of the other things I think that's great about this market is the way that it's expanded who plays video games where the game makers make money. Because there was a lot of games online that have been free for a long time. And game makers could make money off advertisement only. That's the only way they could make money. You know, you go on and you play, you know, your game free online and you, you watch an ad every once in a while. And, um, you know, especially as this is expanded into not only Facebook, but also the smartphone market, where sometimes mm -hmm. it's that way, but there is a lot in the smartphone market that is microtransactions. Um, you know, I've, I have actually two Mobage games, which is Tiny Tower and Ninja Royale, that both you can play free easily. And I do. I actually don't spend money on either of them. But it's very easy to to increase your speed and power in those games, if you will, by spending money. And they have you buy MOBA coins, and you can use those to buy things in the games. And, you know, this is, this is hitting an audience that didn't, and probably still don't think of themselves as gamers, even. They don't, in their mind, they don't even play video games. They play games on their phone. They play games, you know, on their Facebook. They, they don't probably even think that they're gamers. And and they're certainly not in the sense of probably the way we are. Not know. core They're gamers. not core gamers. Yeah. They're not, you know, but but they are. They're gamers now. Mm -hmm. They And they, they're putting money often into these things. And, and that is one of the things that's really cool about this, too, is that what that does is it makes there be this huge amount of content of games. Go on to your Android market or, or, or you know, if you got your iPhones, you know, and uh, look at how many games are out there for free. It's unbelievable. And this model is what's made that possible. And I think the microtransaction model is getting even more popular than the advertisement model because... The advertisement model is annoying. You don't want to have to look at advertisements. And it doesn't also probably make as much money. So this this is really expanding gaming in, in terms of not only the audience, but this, the span. How much is available to us as well as to just the general populace. And that's really cool. When there's just more games, I love that. I want there to be more games because then I can play more games. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't and especially they're... when they're free, because that's right up my price alley. Yeah, you're it's never going to get any more arguments, or you're never going to get any arguments against more games and cheaper games. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's that's. I think our all all of us our utopia would be exactly that: more games, cheaper games. There you go. No said. <laughs> well, and I think the other thing that's worth mentioning about this that is really intriguing is the last few years there's sort of been this parallel development um, within the greater games industry of number one, you know, bigger. AAA blockbuster titles getting bigger and more AAA and more blockbuster and more impressive. I mean, the things that we get to see now, you know, in your your standard full price game, you know, compared to you know, show Gears of War three to your twelve year old self, and your head would explode. I mean, yeah. it's amazing what these things are. The video game industry makes significantly more money than Hollywood does every year, and it's been that way for quite a long time. The problem with that, though, is that there's so much risk involved for these studios who are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on a single title, is that they need to make a ridiculous amount of money in order to get a return on their investment. So, as a result, you have less people that are willing to take risks on new IPs, you have fewer people who are willing to try out new experimental gameplay methods in a way that's in a big, huge, well-advertised mainstream title. So you can fill that gap with you know small teams that are making little games that are focused on a core concept 
which is everything from, you know, maybe a little block puzzler that you're playing on your phone to something like Portal, which is a very amazing, very short game based around a very specific mechanic. Um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, any report on any given day on any major video game news site, there's probably going to be something involved involving, you know, studio layoffs with somebody. It's funny that Mike was just talking about um, Facebook games and, you know, social gaming in that um, Zynga, I think yesterday or a few days ago, just released a press statement that they were laying off a significant amount of their staff across the United States and in their international offices as well. So this is the company that made Farmville and The Ville and every Ville game you can think of. Um, you know, some of this stuff may or may not be sustainable, and I think people are working it out, but um, when you see that bigger studios are con consistently laying lots of people off, which is a sad thing, I never want anybody to lose their jobs, but I think part of that is just there has to be so much money involved in these big mainstream releases now. It's really exciting to get to see smaller, more concise uh, you know, experiences that have you know a much smaller buy-in for you as a gamer uh, that potentially can be extremely profitable for the people who are making. It's an interesting time, definitely. Cool. All right. So um, we're not sure how to end this, so we're going to end it like this. Um, <laughs> that's our first show. Uh, if uh, people end up listening more than our moms, hi mom. Uh, we hope that <laughs> you you enjoy this. Uh, we are hopefully before too long going to try and set up a Facebook page uh, to to make this hopefully interactive. That's one of the things we'd really like to do is we're hoping that um, people who like the games we like and who have been playing games for a long time or not doesn't matter or dislike the games we like you want to tell sure. us how much you hate the game that we love you feel free that's you know, fine we'll tell you how much we hated modern warfare and all that kind of stuff too. <laughs> and uh, yeah no you can tell us you love Madden we won't care and um, you know but we want to be interactive we think that'll be a lot of fun so um, we're gonna try and get a Facebook page up if we do we'll let you know what it is and uh, let us know what you think. We want your comments about the show. We want questions. You know, are there topics you want covered? Is there information you, you like? Do you think we're the worst podcasts ever made? Whatever. Um, you won't get any air time if you say that, but we want to hear it. So uh, <laughs> just uh, we'll try and get that up soon, and hopefully this can become something that is uh, can have a community, maybe. And that would be awesome. That's that's our our our, our dream. Our goal is just to have fun, which we're doing. So, um, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will see you episode two. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.